Isaiah 33, 22. And I just want to read this, this one verse to start with. This is really going to be our key text for the day. We've got a lot of Scriptures, but this is the key text for this message today. Isaiah 33, 22. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our King. He will save us. And I think what a wonderful Scripture. It's just a little short Scripture. He says the Lord is our judge. We know He's the righteous judge, the Bible says. The Lord is our lawgiver. We're doing a study on the law. Okay? And the Lord is our King. He will save us. And we're doing a study. We started last Sunday. I encourage you, if you did not, if you weren't here last Sunday, uh, to, to look at it on YouTube or, or put up on the website. This is going to be a series for the next several weeks. I don't know exactly how many. I've been praying about this for a long, long time. I would say for years. And the Lord actually gave me today's sermon uh, maybe eight or nine months ago, or, or many months ago. And we're doing a series on the law. And, you know, like, what is the law? Where did it come from? What was the purpose of the law? What are the strengths of the law? What is it the, the law cannot do and God did not intend for it to do? Even, even such things as, was there mercy from God in the Old Testament? Was there grace from God in the Old Testament? Uh, how were men saved in the Old Testament? Were men saved in the Old Testament? So we're going to look at the law. Now, when we talk about the word law, uh, there are more than one, quote, laws in the Scripture. I'm not talking about commandments and statutes and precepts. I'm talking about laws in general. We talked about this last week, but I wanna, I'm, going to be, I'm going to be a little repetitive in this series because the, the really important things I want us to learn, I want us to really know it, that when we're through with this, we're not questioning certain things and we have a better understanding. But just in the book of Romans, okay? Just in that 16 chapter book of Romans in the New Testament, one, one Bible scholar identified six different laws, okay? Again, not commandments, laws. And I'll just mention them to you. The law of Moses, which we're studying, okay? That is the one we're focusing on, is the law of Moses. Uh, the law simply as a principle, you know, just a principle of, of a statute or a law. law the law of faith which is mentioned in, in uh, Romans 3.27, which brings us to, to, the great, to receive the grace of God in salvation, the law of faith, okay? The law of sin, which is in the members of our body. The law of the mind, which consents that the law of the Lord is good, but can't keep it. And the law of the Spirit. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. These are not the same laws. So you don't just group them all together and so we say the law of the Lord or the law of the Levitical law or the, or the law given on Sinai. So the one we're focusing on though is the law of Moses. And we're going to, to study it includes the Ten Commandments. So remember just very quickly, even the Levitical law, the law that was given... Uh, by the Lord to Moses on Sinai. We're going to read those Scriptures in just a moment. It includes uh, a ceremonial law. Right? Different feasts and, 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 uh, and, and things like that. There, there's a civil law. 
Where would it be like we have a civil law of how men are to deal with one another? What do you do with a criminal? What do you do when somebody steals something and that kind of thing? They have a civil law that it was given to the Hebrews. Uh, there is a uh, sacrificial law or the or the the Levitical priesthood law, right? Which all typified in, in the coming of Christ at His first coming to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world, and then obviously includes the moral law which would include the Ten Commandments. Okay, So when we say the Law of Moses, it's including all of those things. We talked about it. What, what is uh, the, the Lord gave laws to the Hebrews on Sinai as far as how to... Uh, what do you do if somebody has leprosy? You know what I mean? What do you do if, if you catch a thief in the act? What if somebody's blaspheming the Lord? What do you do? What about gathering sticks on the Sabbath day? You know what I mean? All those... Those would have been uh, civil laws. But the moral law of God is consistent. And that's what we've talked about. It wasn't enumerated before this. It wasn't laid out in Ten Commandments before the Ten Commandments were given. But the moral law of God simply speaks of God's... I know God doesn't quote have morality, but it speaks of God's character and nature and how He is that He's holy and what He expects from men. That was before the law. Remember, there was approximately 2,600 years of God and man before the Levitical law was given. So everything in your Bible prior to John the Baptist coming is not under the law of Moses. There was more in the Old Testament of our Bibles not under the law of Moses than under the law of Moses. I think it's important that we know that. So there's about 2,600 years uh, between, let's say, Adam and the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. There was about 1,400 years of men, the Hebrews, specifically living under the dispensation of the law before Jesus Christ. And that would extend through John the Baptist's life and even through Jesus' life. And then we talked about He fulfilled it. Jesus Christ Himself fulfilled it. Think not that I'm come to destroy the law. I'm not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. To bring it to its uttermost end. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to all who believe. These are some of our key verses that we're going to keep in mind. Romans 10.4. Please jot that one down if you are taking notes. Um, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3.11, I'll just give it to you, that... Um, but that no man is no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. So just take that as a fact. That's the only scripture we had, and we have others. But that no flesh, no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And so we don't look to the law to be our savior. The Hebrews were not to look to the law to be their salvation. The law was to point them to the Savior. And it still is that it is that uh, that points men and brings men to Christ. Well, therefore, the law is our schoolmaster, our tutor, to bring us unto Christ that we may be justified by faith. The key word in both of those Galatian scriptures was faith. The law does not justify. It's good. God gave it. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But it in itself doesn't justify. It was never intended to justify. It was intended to be a type and shadow of pointing men to a coming Savior. 
It was intended to show the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And that as man is trying to walk under that law, which is a good law and holiness of God, he's saying very quickly, I can't keep it. I want to. It's a good thing. I want to do what God's called me to do, but I can't. And that is going to drive men to the foot of the cross. That is going to drive men to the man, Christ Jesus, who did perfectly fulfill it and to be robed in His righteousness. How do we acquire that? By faith. So that's very, very important. So we're going through and we're looking at this. What a glorious purpose. If you think of all the laws we have in the land, and I talk about these laws for the, the zoning stuff, and I think some of it's kind of ridiculous. It's just trying you know, to get a little bit more money uh, from us and make you jump through a bunch of hoops to have a church right there where there was a church just a few years ago. And there's not a real wonderful purpose in it. But what a glorious purpose to the law of Moses. The purpose of the whole thing is to bring men to Christ. To be our schoolmaster, our tutor. That to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. What a wonderful purpose. And so, we'll talk more about the purpose of the law. We'll probably talk about it a little bit every week. But there will be one message dedicated just to the purpose of the law. But today, before we go any further in our study on the law, the Levitical law, the law of Moses, we have to know that if there's a law, there is a lawgiver. And we're going to look at our lawgiver today. That is the Lord's. That's why we open with this scripture. For the Lord is our judge. Isaiah 33, 22. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. And I want you to turn with me in your Bibles uh, I have a lot of scriptures. I'm not going to turn to all of them, but we are going to turn to these two. Turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteron- Deuteronomy 5, verse 22. And then we're going to skip to chapter 33. But Deuteronomy 5, 22 says, These words the Lord spake. Now remember, Deuteronomy is the last of the, the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy is the last book that Moses wrote and this is when he was uh, historically in Deuteronomy he's looking back at what happened in Exodus and, and, and that progression and the giving of the law and coming out of Egypt and all of that so he's looking back at it now and kind of recapping capping it all beautifully for, the, for us and for the children of Israel these words the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount that's Mount Sinai out of the midst of the fire, out of the cloud, out of the thick darkness, with a great voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them in two tables of stone and delivered them unto me. So Moses is not technically the lawgiver. He's called that, and I can understand that. It was like it came through his hands to the people. But we just read in Isaiah, the Lord is our lawgiver. We just read here, he spoke to the assembly. He came and and wrote them. The Lord the first time, when you know, there's twice that Moses received the Ten Commandments, because the first time he came down, he was so angry at their idolatry, worshiping the calf, when he saw him, he threw the tape the tablets down and they crumbled and broke. He had to go back up there and the Lord wrote them again. But said the first time he the Lord wrote them, the finger of God on tables that the Lord had made. The second time, Moses had to cut them out himself and bring them up there and God wrote on them. But the point is that 
It came from God. The Lord is our lawgiver. And I want us to know that. And look at Deuteronomy 33. Turn there. And we'll begin at the beginning of the chapter, 1 through 4. And this is the blessing. Now, this is right towards the end of Moses' life, some of the last little bit that he spoke to the children of Israel that was recorded in the Word of God. And this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He shone forth from Mount Paran. And he came with ten thousands of saints. From his right hand went a fiery law for them. Yea, he loved the people. So that's important. The Lord, the Lord gives his fiery law. We're just looking at where it came from right now. And yet he loved the people. It's not one or the other. He's a God of law and order, but he still loves. He loves like no one could ever love us with a perfect love. Yea, he loved the people. All his saints are in thy hand. And they sat down at thy feet. Everyone shall receive of thy words. Moses commanded us a law, even the inheritance of the congregation of Jacob. And so we know it says in John chapter 1, this beautiful gospel of John, it starts out you know, about halfway through that chapter. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by the Lord Jesus Christ. And of his grace have we all, all we received, and grace for grace, of the fullness of it. And so it does not mean that God was not gracious or merciful before Jesus came. It means that this new covenant is a covenant of grace and mercy. This new covenant in the blood of Jesus is a covenant and it's the fullness of His grace have we received through the blood of Jesus. The law came by Moses. It came from the Lord. We read the Scriptures and others. And there was angels played a big part in the giving of the law too. It tells us that in Hebrews and a few other Scriptures. But it came to Moses was like the mediator and the lawgiver. He's known as the lawgiver. But we already read the Lord is the true lawgiver. And so what's wonderful about our lawgiver is that in, in a natural world, whether it's a king that decrees a law, you know, or a pharaoh of Egypt or something like that, or you know, the lawgiver is the one who passes the law is this, or makes the edict or the proclamation that has to be obeyed. But he may not be... He's certainly not going to be your savior or your king or your, uh, you know, your judge at the same time. People are dip pointed different things. But the one who gave the law loves us and he's our lawgiver and he, he loves us. He's our judge. He's our king. He will save us, Isaiah said. So Isaiah understood. In the, and again, I'm interjecting this. And I'm going to throughout this series, the, the people that really sought the Lord by faith, whether it was before the Levitical law, during the dispensation of the Levitical law, or since the dispensation of the law, the people that have sought the Lord and found Him have been those that have sought Him by faith. And He is a God that responds, that is known by faith. This is life eternal. Ethan read it in Sunday school that they may know thee the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou sent. It doesn't say this is life eternal, that they keep the Ten Commandments perfectly. Because nobody can. Nobody could. Jesus did. And not only the Ten Commandments, but all of the righteous requirements of the whole law He perfectly fulfilled. So we put our trust in Him. 
But the lawgiver is good, I guess is what I'm saying. The lawgiver is not opposed to us. The lawgiver is not sitting back like this saying they're going to mess up and I'm going to squash them like a bug when they do. The one who gave the law, he will save us. So think about that. The law is not our Savior. The Savior is our Savior. The law is from the Savior and it's a good law. The good law shows me how bad I am. I want to read this quote from... uh, This is a quote from George Whitfield, And I have a lot of wonderful quotes on on the law, but this wonderful evangelist that was used mightily of the Lord in our country, he says, there is no going to Mount Zion, he's speaking of heaven, but by the way of Mount Sinai. He's talking about the law. He's not saying that the law saves man. He he does say that somebody that's going to get to heaven has to come under the preaching of the law in the sense that they understand, well, it says that thou shalt not uh, hate your brother without cause, C- commit murder. Well, I hated my brother, and I'm guilty of murder. I'm wretched. You understand what I'm saying? The purpose of the law, now what do I do? I've already broken the law. And if I'm guilty of bringing, breaking one portion of the law, I'm guilty of breaking all of the law. The Bible says if we offend in one point, we've offended in the whole thing. Now we're really done. Well, it doesn't take us long to be really done, okay? Because we break it in word, thought, or deed. And so Whitfields goes on to say, before you can speak to peace to your hearts, you must be made to see, made to feel, made to weep over, made to bewail your actual transgressions against the law of God. And to, to wail over the least deviation from, he says, the moral law. That's very important. You and I are not required, and never have we been required, to keep the ceremonial Hebrew law, to keep the sacrificial Hebrew law, and things that's the civil Hebrew law. Never. But the moral law has been consistent throughout. Like I said, before the Levitical law, during the Levitical law, where it's really enumerated on tables of stone, and since. We mentioned it last week that Jesus... I didn't study it, but I've read it. And more than one man that has studied that all of the Ten Commandments of the law, Jesus reconfirmed or affirmed in the New Testament Himself other than the Sabbath day. When He said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. But all the other commandments, He didn't just say they're okay. He said heaven and earth shall not pass away till all is fulfilled. I didn't come to destroy it but to fulfill it. And he says, you have heard that thou shalt not commit adultery. That's what the law said. That's what the Ten Commandments said. Let me let you know something. God was against adultery before the law was given. He was opposed to adultery during the dispensation of the law and since. He doesn't wink at it and think it's okay now because Jesus died for our sins. The, the law, he, Jesus said, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery in his heart. He's guilty of it. And so uh, we, we need to be brought, the, the, the law serves a purpose that, that it would show us our, our sinfulness. Okay? It would show us our sinfulness. So don't rebel against the law like so many do in this age of grace. It is an age of grace. It is a dis- absolutely a dispensation of grace. We're saved by grace through faith. Not works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He has saved us. 
So we're not talking about going under the law. We are talking about the lawgiver is a holy God. And he, found the right words, feels the same. He felt the same about murder before the law, during the law, and in our day in Christ Jesus. Okay? That's very uh, important that we understand it. But our lawgiver is also the Savior. Today is our sermon is on the lawgiver. Okay? And it's a wonderful thing. The Bible says who he, Paul says in, in 2 Timothy, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. He wants men to be saved. Our God, who did give the law and has given laws through the course of, of the humankind, the history of mankind, He is also our Savior. And His will is that, uh, he, the Bible says, He is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. This is a good law. And behind a good law is a good lawgiver who is merciful. He's merciful. And he, he extends grace and mercy. The Bible, I'm going to give a few more scriptures about the goodness of our lawgiver. The Lord says, as I live, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So you think about, there are law, lawgivers. You know, I think about uh, when the three Hebrews were cast into the fire. I think Nebuchadnezzar would have delighted in the three Hebrews dying in the fire. You remember how angry he was? His vicious changed. He commanded the fire to be heated up seven times normally, hotter than it normally would be. And even the, the guards that threw him in were burnt up by the flames. Uh, he was enraged. And yet, our lawgiver has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Now, the three Hebrews weren't wicked. In the king's eyes, they, they had transgressed his law. But you understand the point. Uh, he, he says, look unto me. Old Testament and New Testament. It's in Isaiah, I believe, where he says, look unto me and be saved. He doesn't say look to the law and be saved. If you look to the law, the law is going to point you to, point you to me. Look unto me and be saved. He says to Israel, why will you die, O house of Israel? He's pleading with them. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jesus said, thou which killest the prophets, stone those that are sent to you. How often I would have gathered you together like a chicken... Uh, does her chicks under her wings and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. What's God's will? What's God's heart? The lawgiver, he doesn't compromise his law. It's a holy, just law that represents him and how men are to be. But we can't be that without indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We can't be that without grace. We can't be there without faith. Old Testament saints weren't dwelt by the Holy Spirit, but they did look to Him and seek Him by faith. Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him by God as, as being righteousness. That's faith, right? Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. I love this Scripture. This is a good one to jot down. Uh, John 5, 39 and 40, where Jesus says, search the Scriptures. I mean, he's, he's proven that he's the Messiah through the miracles he's doing, the words he's saying. 
where he was born, everything about Jesus' life was a fulfillment of prophetic fulfillment of Scripture, right? And he, and he says, search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. The Old Testament <laughs> testifies of Christ. All of it. Not some of it. Not just the portions that we choose to carry over into our New Testament Christianity. Search the Scriptures. They are they which testify of Me. And in them you think you have eternal life. You know, he says, they testify of me. And he says, but you will not come to me that you might have life. It was just the hardness of the, the hearts of people. But what is his will? He wants men to come to him and have life. He wants them to follow out the, the, the direction of the map of the Word of God that's bringing men to Christ. And the law specifically is a major, an, an essential tool in doing that. Man's sins, that's our sins as well. Our sins are contrary to us. God is not contrary to us. Our sins are contrary to us. Our sinful nature is contrary to us. We all know the scripture, the wages of sin is death. Let's say the wages of the law. Now there's a curse of the law, okay? That, that if you're going to function live by the law and you offend it, that's going to be death for that. Okay? But that law, if I will allow it to, will serve its purpose to bring you to Christ to find mercy and grace. But the wages of sin is death. So we're going to look about how sinful men, men are and how much we need a Savior and how good and kind and merciful is our lawgiver. Amen? And so... I'll read this in Romans 6.21. What fruit had you in those things? That's the sins. Whereof you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. What's contrary to us? Our sins are contrary to us. Our adversary, the devil, is contrary to us. But our lawgiver is not contrary to us. That's the, guess, the point that I'm wanting us to see here now. Our sins rightly bring condemnation upon our lives. There's no doubt about it. Sin brings condemnation. And condemnation is a legal term. Okay? It, it means to, to, uh, to pronounce it uh, a sentence of guilt. That's really what it means. Sins, our sins, against the Holy God, bring condemnation and judgment from God, who is our judge as well. It brings condemnation but He put all of our reproaches on Christ. And if we will accept Jesus, you are that I am, you are the Son of God who came to be the propitiation for the sins of the world. And what you finished on the cross, you did for me and for the sins of the whole world. That is the final sacrifice for sins. I believe that. I believe you. I also believe I'm a filthy, no good sinner. I really believe it. I'm turning to you for mercy. And we will find it there. Because the reproaches that fell upon us, the Father put upon His Son Jesus. Isaiah 53 talks about that in, in detail. And so, our sins have separated us from a holy God. But the holy God is not against us. Our lawgiver is not against us. He's a loving lawgiver. And I want to just read this. You know the passage, but if you're taking notes, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. 
Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your what? Iniquities. That's sins and transgressions. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. He's still not against us, but there is something that is between us. There is something that is against us. It's not God, it's our own sins against this God that are against us. Your, your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you. So there's not a right relationship there that He will not hear. He's still not against us. The sin has to be dealt with. He wants to deal with it. Y'all, we weren't out looking for a Savior. Don't ever forget this. We never asked Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We didn't take the initiative in this thing. He came seeking the lost. He came to seek and save the lost. It was not in our hearts. You know, the only thing that was in our hearts was rebellion. And maybe fear or pride, the pride of life, and all these different things and sin. We had no initiative. There's none that seeks after God, says in the Psalms. There's none that does good. No, not one. Uh, none. Except the man, Christ Jesus, okay? And He did that. He made the promises. He told Adam, there's going to be the seed of the woman that crushes the serpent's head under his heel. When the first sinner sinned the first sin in the garden, He made the promise. And He kept His promise. Amen? I just want us to know the lawgiver is not against us. The law turns out to be against us only in the sense that it highlights our sins and we fall guilty under it. But our lawgiver is not against us. Again, if we'll follow the purpose of the law, it will point us to the grace of God and to the Son of God when He comes. And the Bible says of the Lord in the Old Testament. See, all the true men and women of God through the years, whatever dispensation they lived in, every true man and woman of God knows that God is merciful and gracious and that they can't be justified by their own works of righteousness. They knew it. They knew it during the law, before and after the law. And David says, Thou art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon Thee. He's ready to forgive. And so our lawgiver also provided a Savior, the Savior, a way, the way, through His Son Jesus Christ. He's not against us. Uh, by his, to be, for men to be saved by grace through faith. Now we talked about this briefly last week. What's the big deal? Why are we in 2020 studying the Levitical law, which was basically fulfilled by Christ and given about 1,400 years or 15 before Christ even came? What's it have to do with me? It has a lot to do with us. We're not under it. I'll say it every sermon. We're not under it. Although the moral law of God doesn't change, uh, but we're not under the law. But there are perversions, in a, and I mentioned it last week, I'll do it very briefly here again today. What perversions do we see within Christianity, okay, on the doctrine of the law? And we have seen it through the history of the church. One would be those that adhere to the law and think that we're still under the law for salvation, for righteousness, to, 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 to make it to heaven, okay? The Galatian church, after they were saved freely by the grace of God, hearing the gospel preaching of Paul, there were false teachers called Judaizers. I said it last week. They weren't called Pharisees. They weren't called legalists. They were Judaizers. The Judaizers preached a blend or a mixture of, of 
Jesus and the law to be salvation coming through that means. You're personally, everyone, man, woman, child, keep, keep the law. If you want to make it to heaven, be righteous in God's eyes and be justified, you have to keep the law. Well, that's a false doctrine. That's not just a legalist or something like that. That is a false doctrine that should have been cast out along with the teachers who were teaching it. But they didn't. They didn't stand up and stand against the false doctrine the way they should have. And they gendered fear. And it brought them in their own minds and hearts back into a place where God didn't desire for them to be at all. And so the whole book of Galatians is trying to counteract that. So that's a perversion. And people can be, maybe not by name, Judaizers. There, there could be people that within our Christian churches. Now the Judaizers weren't saved. So these weren't like just preachers that got off a little bit. They weren't born again. If you think you have to be saved by keeping the law, you're not saved. Alright? But there's, there's perversion where there could be people that put such an emphasis on the law on the law and the keeping of the law and our own personal performance of the law, that is how we're saved and justified before God. It's a false doctrine casted out. So that's a perversion and a false doctrine. What about on this side over here? Why are we studying this today? Because I see a lot of this over here. I see more of this than this, although I know that there are these that preach this. On this side, in the hyper grace and the new covenant theology that we see today, this uh, this unbiblical grace to where you cannot speak to church members about any kind of obedience to the Lord. If you do talk about being holy or striving, like Hebrews says, follow after holiness, it means to follow hard after, to pursue after. If you talk about seeking to be personally holy once you are saved, like I want to be Christ-like, I, I, I curse a lot, and God's working in my life, I want to not curse anymore. I want to not, the thief would steal no more and so forth. If we're, we're striving to be holy, and you, and you talk about that like the New Testament talks about it, then you are considered by these people a Pharisee, a legalist. You're un, don't talk to me about obedience. I'm, under, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. And there's, they're so perverted on, on that end that there's no personal holiness or desire for holiness. And they despise the law. They despise the uh, talking about morality or, or what, uh, how a Christian should live. So anytime, even if you go to the New Testament and teach from Paul's epistles or Peter or John about uh, abstain from all appearance of evil, and this is the will of God, even your sanctification, uh, that you flee idolatry and flee fornication. Those are New Testament commands to churches where people are already saved. You take the New Testament Scriptures and you preach it to this crowd, and they say, man, you're a legalist. I'm not under the law. Well, they have no conception of, no, I'm not under the law either. And I'm not preaching the law as a means of salvation or righteousness or justification. We're preaching it because the Lord says, you, are, you were once darkness, now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Well, what does the children of light look like? It looks like Christ. He looks like Jesus. He's going to keep the Ten Commandments and more. Okay? Not the Sabbath. But you understand what I'm saying. The morality. That part doesn't change. And so, this is why I think it's so important that we study it. 
and we look on the law, the law of the Lord and see what is its purpose and what does it have to do with me today? Anything at all. Should I despise it, you know, and get away from it? Uh, no, I'm not under it. I need to understand it, why, why God gave it, what the purpose is, and, and not to despise it. Thank God for it because it pointed me to Christ. And I also mentioned this to this crowd over here, they honestly, and maybe we've thought these thoughts before, they honestly, if you ask them, was anybody saved before Jesus came 2,000 years ago and was born in a manger and died on the cross? 33 and a half years old, was anybody saved before that? I think a lot of people couldn't even answer. Well, yeah, I guess. Good, really good people like maybe Moses and Abraham and David. Well, they weren't so good. I mean, David committed adultery and murder, right? Were they saved in the Old Testament? Yes. They're Old Testament saints. When Jesus appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, there was Elijah and Moses with him. Okay? Uh, their Old Testament saints, they were saved by grace through faith. That's how they were saved. They looked forward to a coming Savior. They just happened to die, live and die before He came. They still could put their trust in Him. And maybe it's an incomplete picture. We have a complete picture. So we have a great advantage, but they were still saved in that way by putting their faith in a holy God, not in their own works to justify them. And... Don't think for a moment that grace and mercy, for example, or that righteousness imputed to us, that that's a new invention just in the last 2,000 years since the Lord came. That's not a new invention. Noah found grace. Well, Noah lived a long time ago, didn't he? Noah found grace. We read about grace not nearly as much. In its fullness, it came through Jesus Christ. There was truth before Jesus came. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. There was truth before He came. But in the fullness, I am the truth. Right? And so we have to understand this and see it. These are not inventions that God just suddenly offered to men when Jesus came, but was never available to men who saw Him by faith before. You all understand that? Okay. Well, we're going to talk a whole, whole lesson probably on just how were men saved in the Old Testament and really get into that and talk about it. I want to read a couple more Scriptures here just quickly. David said in the Psalms, He hath not dealt with us after our sins. Well, wait a minute. I thought everybody in the law just instantly died. Well, nobody would live. They wouldn't have had a nation more than about 24 hours if, if everybody just died. I know there's a curse of the law and their judgment under the law. Understand that. But He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Don't you thank God for that? Even now today, that He hasn't dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Jeremiah the weeping prophet says, This I recall to mind. Therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercy. He's not talking about the law at all. He's talking about the lawgiver. <laughs> He's talking about the goodness and mercy of the lawgiver. And he lived in the dispensation of the law. And I imagine he loved it and tried to keep it. Okay? He didn't despise it. It is of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him. To the soul that seeketh Him. God is good. The lawgiver is good to the soul that seeks Him. Before Mount Sinai, 
after Mount Sinai, after the cross. The Lord is good. The lawgiver is good. And I, and I want to really stress that today. Our God is our, also our Savior. And our God is the lawgiver. If you're taking notes, James 4.12, there is one lawgiver, James says, who is able to save and destroy. So the lawgiver is able, also able to save and destroy. There's one lawgiver is able to save and destroy. And uh, you know what's interesting, and this is almost just a little, a little side note, but the word lawgiver means to engrave, to be ascribed, to an act, to prescribe, to appoint, to decree. And all of God's decrees, there have been a lot of lawgivers through the history of the world that are unrighteous and ungodly and imperfect at best, even if they wanted to do well. But our lawgiver is perfect and his decrees are perfect. But did you ever notice that the Lord says in his word, and I want to read this, when, when, when Jacob was old, you know how late in his life he came to Egypt because Joseph was there and the famine brought all of his family, grandchildren, everybody ended up, the whole nation of Israel came to Egypt. And Jacob ends up dying there. 440 years later about, they come out of Egypt. But he's pronouncing a blessing over the different, his sons, which 12 sons of the 12 tribes of Israel. And listen what he says. He says, uh, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. Judah's just one of the, the sons. He's not the oldest one. He wasn't like the youngest one, Benjamin. He wasn't Joseph, who God used so greatly. He was a godly man. He says, the, the Judah is, is going to be the lawgiver. It says twice in the Psalms. This is Psalm 108.8. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the strength of my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Well, what's the significance about Judah being the lawgiver? He will save us. The same law. Jesus is a lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus came not through the Levitical line. He was not a priest after the order of the Levitical priest, but one after more like Melchizedek, but specifically the tribe he came from was Judah. And I just think it's amazing that way back when there was a Judah, uh, the first Judah, Jacob's son, it was pronounced over him, the scepter's not going to depart from him. Judah is my lawgiver. And out of that comes Jesus Christ. I just think it's amazing the things that the, the way the Lord ties this together. He is our lawgiver. He will save us. So the one who gives the law is also going to save us when we transgress the law, which we do. And so, um, God, and I want, to, I want to switch gears just a little bit. Our lawgiver. Our, men are lawless. As a whole, men want cast off restraints. Did anybody ever read that book? Uh, it was required reading when I was in high school. I'm just thinking about this. Y'all bear with me. The Lord of the Flies. Anybody read the book, The Lord of the Flies? Okay, I don't know if it's required reading now. It's a classic. It's very troubling when you read it. There's nothing pleasant about it. It's these kids, properly raised up little British school children, uh, that end up on a, a plane wreck or, or what it was, a shipwreck, and they end up on this island without any adults. And very soon they start dog-eat-dog kind of world, and very cruel, even to the point of killing one of the other kids and uh, it just showed that they don't want uh, man as a whole uh, would be lawless and rebellious 
okay, about any kind of restraints. If our flesh restrains us, we want to cast that off. If the government restrains us and we don't like it, we want to cast that off. We might like some of the laws and have no problem with it. But as a whole, man is rebellious but and, and lawless. God is not lawless. I guess that's what, one of the things I want to make a point today. Whether we're talking about the law of Moses, which we're not under, and which Christ fulfilled, and since He fulfilled it, He ended it, okay? Um, whatever law we're talking about, God Himself is not lawless. The Word of God says that God is not the author of confusion. He does everything, even the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which seem so... Um, are just demonstrative and just otherworldly and everything, and they are. Even those are to be done in order. He's not the author of confusion. Let everything in the house of God be done decently and in order. And so, man is lawless, but God is not. I wanted to read this. Uh, anybody, if any of y'all read uh, Dave Hunt's newsletters, this was in the most recent newsletter, which is a reprint of something many years ago that Dave Hunt wrote. Uh, he's talking about in modern psychology, where, where first there's just this total atheism, you know, God has nothing to do with anything. There's a spiritual, not godly, but a spiritual twist coming into modern psychology where you recognize the divine in you. Okay? It's new age theology coming into psychology and so forth. Mind-altering drugs where you get to this other conscious and you, you come to know, the, quote, the divinity in you. It's either your flesh or it's demonic, but it's not Christ. We come to know Him through the, the preaching of the Gospel and by faith. So anyway, I'll read a, a quote. This is, this is propagated in these seminars and in colleges and so forth. How one feels is now the only criterion. While how one ought to act or feel has lost all its meaning. meaning. There are no longer any moral restraints. Now, we know that there are, but I'm telling you, if you prescribe to this and you say, I believe this, in that setting, there are no longer any moral restraints. Therefore, recognizing your feelings, your discoveries, your personal ones, okay, are your truth. Whatever I felt, felt when I took that drug, whatever I felt when I got in that that uh, sweat box and, you know, sweat it out and whatever, or smoked that peace pipe or, or meditated and did my yoga for the last hour, whatever I felt, that's my truth. That's my reality. And, uh, and it goes on to say, you don't need anyone else to validate your truth. So if Amber goes and experiences this, it's truth for her. And she doesn't need the Bible, certainly, or any man to tell her, no, that's not, that's not so. That's not true. This is right. This is wrong. Uh, now we know, that what, the only reason I read that is I want us to see the nature of man. All men don't gravitate to that extent, to something like that. But there is within men this rebellion in our sin nature to be lawless. But God is not lawless. I want to read this from Nehemiah chapter 9. Now this is after the children regathered after the seven year, 70 year you know, uh, captivity in Babylon. They've come back to their homeland. Nevertheless, they, speaking about his fathers, were disobedient and rebelled against thee and cast thy law behind their backs. Don't we see it? Casting laws, especially the laws of God behind our backs. You know what? We don't want to see it. We don't want you to preach the Bible to us. Shut up. 
don't tell me homosexuality is wrong. I'm sick of it. Stop telling me that. I don't want to face that. I don't want to hear it. And I'll kill you if you tell it to me again. People don't want it. Israel was this way at this point. They had the prophets coming to them all the time. God's going to send you to kill you if you don't repent. But if you turn to Him, He'll be merciful to you. And, and shut up, Jeremiah. Throw him in a prison twice. Throw him in a dungeon. We don't care. Feed him with the bread of affliction. Micaiah, the one true prophet in, in Ahab's day that preached the truth. Throw him in the prison. We don't even read where he ever got out. Put him in the prison. Feed him with the bread of affliction. Shut up. And I know I'm being kind of demonstrative here, but that is the attitude of man. And it's increasing in our day to cast God and His law behind our backs. It's not a new thing. It, it is the lawlessness of man. And he says, they cast up thy law behind their backs, Nehemiah said, and slew thy prophets which testified against them to turn them to thee. The, the prophets were sent to turn them to, to God. And they wrought great provocation. So they provoked the Lord. This is not going unnoticed by the Lord, by the way. He's got it under control. We see it in our city. We see it on Kenilworth. We see it. Uh, we see it going on in our day. Men are lawless, but God is not lawless. God is not lawless. Even though we are in a dispensation of grace, we are in the church age. Christ came. We're saved by grace through faith. We are. God is still not lawless, nor are His people to be lawless. There's a spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life in Christ. That's a law. If we walk in the spirit, if we live, let us live in this, if we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. There's a let us. Let's do it. This is what God's called us to. It's not I'm under grace, live however you want. If we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. Okay? So God is not lawless. And he has a way for men to approach him, a way for men to be saved a way for men to live after they're saved. In Christ. It's not that I'm in Christ now, so I'm in Christ and saved by grace, and I'm not under the law, therefore I can live however I want. That is not, if that's your salvation, you're not saved. Because that is not what the Holy Ghost is teaching us and doing in our lives. God is not lawless. Okay? He alone can make men like Himself. Certainly, we are not justified by the law. Certainly, I don't make it to heaven by my own works of obedience to the law. I make it to heaven by the grace of God through putting my faith in Him and being washed in His blood. But having been washed in His blood and in Christ and made new in Christ, that new creature is new. He's not like the old creature. He's not going to behave like the old creature. Over time, I mean, it takes God's working in us all. Amen? Our minds are being renewed. We're being sanctified. Fruit takes time to bear, but we will bear fruit. And so understand that that's what I'm talking about. He is holy and just. And His law. Remember we studied it last week. This is another one if you want to jot down. Romans 7, verse 12 and verse 14. Romans 7, 7 12 and 14. It says, for the law is holy. Remember we ended last week like this. The law is what? Holy. The law of Moses. That includes the Ten Commandments. The law is holy. And the commandment, holy and just and good. That's, that's uh, three pretty big words. Holy, just, and good. Then in verse 14 it says, we know the law is spiritual. 
That means having its origin in the Holy Spirit. It's not carnal. It's not just a man. The weakness is that, that man is not able to keep it. That's where the weakness, the weak link in the chain is not the law. It's man's inability to be holy apart from the inner working of God in his life by faith. Just remember, the law is good, holy, just, and spiritual. So when people in our day and age start bashing the law, they don't know what they're talking about. We don't bash the law. We're not under the law either. Now thank God that I'm not under the law. Okay? But the law itself is not bad. I'm bad. And the law helps me to see that really, really clearly. Not just to say I'm a pretty bad guy. No. Oh wow, I've lied this many thousands of times. You start seeing the Ten Commandments and you see how bad you are. And that is going to help bring us to the Lord for His mercy. Amen? And so it was perfectly fulfilled. The law was holy, good, and just, and spiritual, and it was fulfilled by God's Holy Son who perfectly fulfilled it. Now I'll be bringing this uh, to a close. Our lawgiver. Y'all, there were laws before the Ten Commandments and so forth. There's a law of marriage. Thus the Lord told Adam, thus shall a man leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. These were laws. Be fruitful and multiply. That's the commandment of God. You understand what I'm saying? There are laws all through because our lawgiver is, is not disorderly. He's not lawless. Nor does He want men created in His image to be lawless. We just need to follow after Him by faith and not put our hope in the law to save us or our own righteousness. He's always been... Uh, holy and he's a lawgiver so the our lawgiver and bring this to a close when a man sins or transgresses or rebels against god one of the definitions of sin i know you've heard is to miss the mark right so here's the law and and so if there's a mark that means there's like a standard there's a standard whether men choose to ignore it or hate it or turn away from it the standard is the standard I forgot who said it. One of the men of God said, we need something straight preached to us so we see how crooked we are. There's a standard in every era, every age, every dispensation in the moral law of God stands there. Not the ceremonial law and the civil law. The moral law of God stands there so that men of all ages can see the holiness of God and how crooked I am. I don't measure up to the standard. What am I going to do? Do better? You're not going to do better. You can try. You may stop smoking. You might stop cursing. But in your heart, you're no better. And, and you're still guilty of the sins. And so am I of the ones I've committed. It's going to drive me to the Lord. Where, wherefore, the law is our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified how? by faith. By faith. Our lawgiver gives a good law. And y'all, when we transgress against the Lord, I think one of the real problems today is in man's eyesight, when we're thinking about God and the Bible and even Adam and even the garden, the first sin, they think, well, that, that seems like a pretty severe judgment for just eating an apple. You know what I'm talking about? We know it wasn't an apple, but my point is, thou shalt not eat of the tree of the of the, uh, the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden. And the day you eat of it, you shall die. 
And Satan says, the servant says, you should not surely die. And well, God's not a liar. He said you'll die. Spiritually, they died. They were cast out of the garden. And that brought sin into all of mankind in that all have sinned, Romans 5, and death passed upon all men in that all have sinned by one man's transgression. And somebody says, well, that seems out of proportion. It's just one little... And even today, I told one little white line, you're going to tell me I'm guilty before God and I'll go to hell for that? So you're talking to a lost man. You're going to tell me uh, I mean, I've never killed anybody and I've never done this, this, and this. Have you ever lied? Yeah, well, I, I did lie. My parents one time about my homework or whatever. Uh, and my teacher. You're going to tell me God would send me to hell for that? Yes. And you say, well, that seems kind of severe. The, the thing that we're missing is we're leaving out the lawgiver when we do that. Well, first of all, we have a sin nature that we inherited as being a descendant of Adam uh, that is bent towards sin, even if we discipline it to a, to a great extent. The sin nature is just that. It's a sin nature. And it needs to be... Uh, we need the nature of Christ in us. But we leave, when we just say... I'm going to go to hell because I said this lie or I stole a pack of bubble gum when I was 10. Uh, we're going to hell because we reject Christ. We're rejecting the lawgiver. You're forgetting there's someone behind that law who said, Thou shalt not steal. You have totally thrown this up in his face. You have totally, uh, I don't know what the word is, disrespected. You've totally minimized and shamed and shunned the lawgiver. Whether you think the law is big or not, whether you consider it a big sin or a little sin, the lawgiver behind it is very big. And He's holy. And He loves you. And He sent His Son Jesus to die for you. And you're throwing that all up in His face and saying, you're going to send me to hell for stealing a pack of gum? No. He said, thou shalt not steal. You disobeyed Him. There's somebody behind that law that loves you very much. And you're minimizing Him to nothing. He's holy and good. And His law is holy and good and perfect. And so when we transgress against the law, we transgress against the lawgiver who is wonderful. I can't even put it in words. Who is so wonderful. Who loves us. And we ought not ever forget that. Even as saved people, as Christians, we need to know that. But our lawgiver, He is our lawgiver. He is our King. He will save us. He will save us if we turn to Him. The one that gave the law, He's going to save us. What a Savior. Amen? Indeed, you can come if you would. But think about this for just a moment. The same God our lawgiver who commanded that shall not kill. That same lawgiver forgives murderers, doesn't he? And saves them. Same one. The same lawgiver who said, Thou shalt not steal, forgives thieves and brings them to heaven. The same lawgiver who says, Thou shalt not worship any, make any graven image or bow down to it to worship it, forgives idolaters when they turn to him by faith. What our lawgiver will also save us. And I want to just read this while Dee's playing. It says in 1 Corinthians 6 and 9 through 
In verse 9, such were some of you. Such were some of you. Right before that, he says, don't be deceived. Uh, you know, that whoever, whoever unrighteous are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Neither murderers, nor fornicators, adulterers, idolaters, abusers of themselves and mankind. Neither of them are going to go to heaven. But such, and such were some of you. But you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So He gives the law and it's good and it's righteous. And I finally... I fall guilty under it because I'm a sinner. But He's my Savior. Such were some of you. Such were all of us at some point. All of us. But you're washed. You're sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He will save us. Let's turn to Him, our lawgiver. We couldn't do a study of the law without looking at the goodness and holiness and mercy and kindness of the lawgiver who will save us. Amen. Y'all stand with me this morning. Can we just take a few minutes to worship the Lord? You find a place to meet with God. Just thank Him. Thank the lawgiver this morning. Thank the Lord. We're not under the law. We're not laboring under that law. We're not laboring under any law that we would look to to be our salvation or righteousness. We're looking to Christ by faith. And what a merciful and kind lawgiver. I'm going to read it one more time just because we're praying. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our King. He will save us. Father, we just come before You. We thank You, Lord God. We thank You, Lord Jesus, that the same God that gave us this holy law is also the same God who will be our King. You'll save us. You have saved us, God. And You're going to save us and bring us all the way through. And You're still saving men today. There are men that are murderers. There are men that are adulterers. There are men that are thieves. There are men that are idolaters. And women and young people. Such were some of us. But now we're washed. We're sanctified. We're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. What a wonderful lawgiver. What a merciful lawgiver. God, help us. Help us, God, to be thankful. Help us, God, to be holy as You are holy, God. Make us what You've called us to be. Don't let us take advantage in the sense of, of Your grace, Lord God. Let us be who and what You've called us to be in the Lord.